take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Everybody, welcome to Life in Red. We're back after a little bit of a break from the Ottawa Podcast Festival, and I'm very pleased to be joined by Michael Dixon. Welcome. Thank you for coming in. Great to be here. Thank you. Um, I, when I bring people in, I always, because I would always butcher it and never give it justice. So I'll let you introduce yourself and a little bit why you're here, uh, just to set some context for everybody. Certainly. My, uh, as you said, my name is Michael Dixon. I'm the uh, president of the uh, Canadian Funeral Peer Support. Uh, we're a peer support group that actually started in Ottawa and uh, with the response uh, that we got from uh, professionals across the country, uh, we decided that, uh, I mean, this was always our long-term goal, but uh, with the response we received from people right across the country, we realized it had to be our right now goal. Right. And uh, so we've uh, formed, what we're doing is we're forming peer support groups uh, across the country for uh, uh, funeral home staff, licensed and non-licensed. Uh, we're, uh, we're bringing uh, uh, programs in and, uh, and it's, uh, we've, only been, we've only been really operational for a year. Yeah, uh, and, I remember and, hearing, I think it was your, I heard your story um, on the CBC uh, February-ish, like it was winter right. time. Yeah. Um, and I, I really, I remember, it resonated with me when your name came back up and um, when we were talking about setting this up, because uh, you don't, when you think of funeral support workers, and we we're talking a little bit of this off mic, you don't equate to the actual job and what what it must do to the actual people who work there. Um, what are so like? Why was this needed to be implemented? Um, and what, like, why did you choose to do it? Well, I mean, it it, it really all kind of goes back to uh, my story. Um, right. Probably about three years ago, um, I, I, w- I had, uh, I've always kind of battled my entire life with uh, depression and, and, uh, and anxiety issues and, and, and that sort of thing. And uh, I was at a point in my life um, where um, I had made um, suicide attempts, let's say, uh, um, thinking about it. But this time, um, I really kind of planned it. Mm-hmm. And um, I planned it. Um, it was uh, January seventh, three years ago. I had decided that that Christmas before I had decided that uh, that was going to be the day I was going to take my life, and planned it all out. Uh, knew where I wanted to go. Um, I um, kind of did a practice run. Uh, mm-hmm. Bought a good insurance policy. Uh, really kind of prepared and, uh, and, and, you know, prepared my family and, and that sort of thing. And, uh, um, I had, uh, so that January 7th, I, uh, woke up, kissed my wife goodbye, had breakfast, drove my son to school and I, uh, went and parked in a park in between Bell's Corners in Canada. And I, uh, sat in my car and, um, I figured, well, okay, and I took my last sip of coffee, and I said, okay, let's go do this, and I went to open my door, and I couldn't get out of my car. You know, it felt like there was, you know, like two hands or a hand on my shoulder, and like I could I could hear these voices in my head saying, you know, uh, 
you know, it's going to be okay. You know, I've got you. Um, make, make that call. And, and, you know, and I had counseled people and told people, Hey, you know, um, when you're that depressed, you know, you got to reach out, you got to talk to somebody. So I wasn't taking the advice that I'd given other people. Mm -hmm. So I had decided that, okay, this is, this is what I'm going to do. And, you know, and I sat there for the longest time and I thought, you know, my, my daughter is going to be getting married that following year. And, you know, I was in tears and I was thinking, you know, who's, who's going to walk my daughter down the aisle? You know, who's going to, uh, uh, you know, who's going to be there when my youngest son graduates high school? And, you know, who's, who's going to be there for, for my family, you know, Mm -hmm. my other son and my wife. And, uh, I decided, okay, um, I'm going to call my doctor. And, um, if I have to leave the message, I'm walking off into the bush. But if I get somebody, I'm going to tell them that I need help. Wow. So, um, there I sat and, and I, you know, I got my doctor's number and I called the number and the phone rang once and a nurse picked up and like, when does that ever happen when you call your doctor's office and somebody actually answers the phone, you know? And, uh, I said, uh, you know, uh, hey, I, I realize I don't have an appointment, but I really need to go and see my doc, you know, the doctor. And, and uh, she said, well, you know, you don't really have a, have a plate. Maybe, you know, in a, you know, in a week, you know, or in a few days we can slip you in. And she said, now, you know, I have to ask you this question. Are you, are you suicidal? And I said to her, well, I'm in a car in a park and I've got a rope in the back. And she put me on hold and... I don't know, 10 seconds later, the doctor came on and said, you get in here right now. And uh, we sat and talked for a while. Uh, I had uh, uh, some tests done, and I was basically uh, diagnosed with severe depression and PTSD. So I realize this is kind of the long-winded mm-hmm. answer to your question. Yeah. But, <laughs> that's but, good, that's yeah, good. Okay. But um, so I... Uh, <clears throat> I was finally diagnosed. I finally had something. I figured, okay, great. You know, now I can get help. But the fact that um, I wasn't a f- classified as a first responder, uh, mm-hmm. it was really impossible for me to find somebody, a professional who specializes in PTSD to help me. Um, and um, I finally did. And she's been amazing. And um, I, uh, I, I decided to be very open and with, uh, with what I was going through and I was quite open with, uh, with my coworkers and people in the industry from, from other funeral homes. And, uh, I always kind of got the same comment. Uh, you know, they were really proud of me and, and, and I had that support, but it was always, Hey, can I, uh, can I talk to you later? Can I give you a call or can we kind of go in this office here? I just want to talk to you. And, And, you know, they go, you know, I'm kind of going through the same sort of stuff. I just, you know, I just, I can't be happy. And I get up in the morning and I don't want to go to work. And, you know, I come home at night and I'm in bed at 7, 38 o'clock at night. And, 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 you know, this, this, this job is just driving me crazy. And, um, <clears throat> so I noticed all that and, uh, of, uh, myself and, and, and three, uh, three other tremendous people. We, uh, we said, wow, you know, we really need to start a, like a peer support group. So 
what we did, we met and we said, okay, well, what we'll do is we'll look at other funeral home peer support groups across the country or even in the U.S., and we'll just follow what they do. So we started Googling and Googling and Googling, and we came back and said, wow, there's nothing. We're going to have to do this. Mm. Not even in the States or anything? Nothing. Wow. Absolutely nothing. So uh, we, yeah, we, we decided that we had to build this from the ground up. That, wow. Um, no real words to soak that all in. Um, <laughs> I found it very, I, that resonated with me because um, for anyone who's familiar with the, pod, the podcast, um, I'm also very open with my mental health. And mm-hmm. um, interestingly enough, one of my previous episodes where I kind of really went into depth with my story um, on my suicide attempt, um, this, a similar thing happened where I made the choice, but at kind of like a last second, I almost was, I was like pulled back from it. Um, whether yeah. that was my, myself, my consciousness, you know, some sort of sign um, that when I finally decided to do it, some something that just made me stop at the very last second. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's interesting. Yeah, and I, you know, and and you know, whether you're a spiritual or not, it doesn't matter. But mm-hmm. you know, I'm not. Uh, people have said, you know, um, you know, that voice was that God, and I said, well, quite frankly, I don't care who it was. <laughs> that's a good <laughs> you know? point. Yeah, I mean, at that point, I didn't care. Yeah, just um, something. It was a sign. Yeah, and playing Russian roulette. You know, like yeah. just you fifty fifty, and you you rolled the dice. Totally, that, totally. That's very interesting. And you know, what's really funny is uh, I've called my doctor for other appointments, and I always have to leave a message. Right. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> you know, um, what was what was like the? I know you said you you received report like support from every. What what was the reaction from your family like? Because I know that was the toughest thing for me. That when I told my family and just seeing how it hurt them. That like it that broke me to a point where I was like, you know, it gave me some conceptualization of what it actually means uh, to to commit suicide and, and hurt people you love. Yeah, I um, my it kind of came in stages. I uh, I mean that day, uh, my wife and I talked for hours. Um, you know, I. Um, you know, we could talk about this later, but I, uh, I wasn't the greatest husband in the world. I mean, I gave her every, every opportunity to leave and she never did. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, we talked about the past and we talked about the future and she said, you know, we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to work hard at, 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 you know, getting you the help you need. And, and, you know, she's a remarkable person that doesn't probably always get the credit for myself that you know, how, how remarkable she is. And, and she said something to me that, you know, I don't think I've ever forgotten. And it's, you know, you're like, you're like that mechanic that, you know, drives that car that always breaks down. And, you know, it's, it's just a piece of crap that, you know, uh, you know, just sits in the driveway, you know, you're like that mechanic. You spend your entire life looking after others, but you never look after yourself. And now this is your opportunity and this is your chance. And um, her her support has been incredible. Um, I credit her along with uh, with my uh, you know with my counselor with how I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, my kids were uh, very very supportive. Um, but uh, I I just told the 
they knew something was up yeah. with me. I mean, they knew. Um, but they, uh, but I never really spoke to anybody about my, the sexual abuse that I suffered from until about a year and a half later. Wow. So your, your wife, no clue, uh, before that, right? Uh, or was there sort of a conversation just setting this? So, you know, you kind of reached this crisis point. You said people knew, but like, were you kind of open about everything before? It was just kind of like that, that typical. And, and I've talked about this and I'll go into a little bit of a tangent here, but sure. we'll come back. Yeah. The highest rate of suicide, uh, when I was looking at stats was between white men, between 45 and 55. Now mm -hmm. I assume you're kind of in that age range sure. a little bit. <laughs> um, a little towards the end right, of that they, 55. You reach this point where your kids are a little bit grown up. I, yeah. I, I'm not going to pretend to understand the circumstances sure. of why that is, but that is the highest point. Yeah. Um, you know, the, everyone kind of exhibits the same sort of symptoms and whatever that is was there the did they know or was it just kind of like you're like everybody else right you know what i'm trying to say that a typical man of that age kind of like seems to be reserved quiet right we never were able to talk about our feelings so like you just kind of let them be and like do their thing and they have a beer after work or whatever it is or was there like an understanding of okay no michael's been through some stuff i, I understood this when i got married to him and yeah now I see why he's kind of here. You know, she uh, she was always suspicious about the, um, the sexual abuse. Um, she had asked me a few times, mm -hmm. and I always denied it, right? Um, mainly because I was never a very, uh, not compassionate, but I wasn't very uh, huggy-kissy, you know, uh, never liked being touched mm. um really didn't like when uh i'd be in bed with her and she'd put her arm around me mm. like that really bothered me mm. um i just uh I, I guess the word i'm looking for is i wasn't very romantic um you know i uh you know, she always said, you know, hey, you know, is it me? Is it like, what's what's going on? And she never really pushed it because I I kind of think, and we've never kind of talked about it, but I, I kind of think she was sure that I was abused. Mm -hmm. um, <coughs> if, you, if you don't mind going into that, um, how old were you when that happened? Uh, I was... Uh, it was a three-year period, and I think I was, uh, I think, uh, 12 to 14 or, th no, Tw yeah, uh, 12 to 15. Okay. Um, do you, trying to get in the, uh, you know, the, the mind of uh, a, a kid that's experienced trauma and abuse, did you understand what was happening? Or, you know, you hear sometimes, like, I mean, I only have <coughs> experience of this. <coughs> Um, between like from documentaries, right. And, and kind of people talking about it, but like sort of disassociating yourself with the whole situation. Like it was a dream or it wasn't real or like, did you have a really real like sense of what was happening? I always felt that I had to, um, uh, protect the person, okay. protect my family. Uh, I always felt that I couldn't tell anybody 
especially my parents. Uh, my parents were kind of going through a bit of an issue with one of our other family members. And uh, so I actually kind of felt by myself. Okay. Uh, my sisters were married and then moved out of the house. And, um, yeah, I, I just had kind of nobody to tell. Um, I don't know if I was scared, but I, uh, I, I definitely wanted to get out, mm -hmm. but I didn't know how to do it. Okay. Um, as you know, you got older and like you said, you were obviously experiencing some signs of, of <coughs> what that abuse did to you afterwards with your, like, did you make that association yourself or did you need that kind of diagnosis of a professional much later to be like, oh, like, that's why I'm like, like, it's connect, you see the connection, like, could you make those connections? Or did you just were like, I want to get away from it. Um, I, I don't want to think about it. Like, it's just, it's gone. It's done. I want to go it, to go away. Yeah. I, I never made that connection right. during, it was, it was much later. It was in counseling. Okay. Um, uh, kind of my, uh, what I did, uh, um, you know, when I finally kind of broke free from it, you know, I decided that will never be repeated again. It will never be talked about or thought about again. So I would drink at a very young age. I mean, I was in high okay. school and I'd, you know, I'd, I would never drink to get drunk, but I would always drink to feel a buzz so I can still function, mm -hmm. right? So I could still go to school. I could still play sports. I could still go to work. And I did that for 14 years. People had no idea. Really? Eh? Yeah. Because I never got drunk, only to feel a buzz, and then I would top that buzz up all the time. But, you know, getting back to once I, I, I spoke to my kids, um, well, first of all, when I had finally admitted to my wife that, yes, I was abused, and uh, it was a Friday night, and uh, we sat on the back deck, and, uh, and uh, again, you know, just tremendous support. And then... Um, that Sunday afternoon, <coughs> I told my sisters, and uh, they were very, very supportive. And uh, that afternoon, I told my three kids, which was probably the toughest thing I ever had to do. And just the love and support that I got from them. A few days later, I get this text from my daughter. It was an email from my daughter. It was beautiful. I still have it today. And every time I'm going through a tough time, I'll read it just, you know, cause I, I never felt like I was a good father. Mm. Uh, I couldn't, uh, probably have the same relationship, especially with my boys that most fathers would have. I would never bathe them. Um, that really bothered me changing their diapers, not for the obvious reason, but mm. for other reasons. Yeah. He hated, hated doing it. Wow. Um, <coughs> one of the hardest things I find, um, I, I, I can talk all day, uh, similar to you, about my, my struggles and, and my, you know, what, what I'm going through. I'm going to therapy, all these things. I have no yeah. problem being open. Yeah. But when it comes to talking to the people that I care about the most, mm. I almost can't do it. I can't. Yeah. I mean, I don't go, it, like, especially on social media, I don't always go the deepest. It's more of a top line thing. Mm -hmm. What has, 
you know, do you, I'm just talking, you know, person who deals with mental illness, sure. you know, is it a similar experience with you um, that you can come on a podcast? No problem. We'll, we'll talk about it. But when it comes to really opening yourself up to a loved one, like, do you also share the same kind of anxiety about it? Yeah. Like, it's like, I don't want to put it on them. Yeah. You know, like. It depends who it is. Um, I really, I'm, I'm, I'm very guarded with, um, with my, uh, sisters and not cause I don't think they can handle it. Mm -hmm. It's just, I don't know if I'm that comfortable talking to my sisters about that. My parents, especially, mm. um, you know, they're in their eighties. I don't know if they kind of get it, you know? And a lot of it, especially with my mother, is, you know, she'll she'll play the blame game, you know, she'll blame herself, which I quite frankly, like I don't I don't need that. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. Um, you know, and 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 you know, and and uh I just don't think that they kinda get it. Um my wife I'm I'm certainly able to uh kinda, you know, talk to her about a few things and mm -hmm. you know, it's funny, she she has uh, um, um, kind of come around a little bit. Like she'll say, wow, now I get it. You know, now I know why you were angry for a lot of our marriage. Right. You know, now I know why you, you know, you never wanted to be touched. You never want anybody to come up behind, especially somebody coming up behind me and hugging me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that would just turn my stomach. And what I can't stand, and even today, is, you know, when you uh, go up to somebody and like, even at a party or something, and if you've been drinking, like, I'll naturally, like, go back from you. Right. You know, because uh, the person that abused me was an alcoholic. So every time I smell that alcohol, it's that, it's that memory coming back. Again, right. You know. And, um, I, yeah, I can't, I can't stand smelling liquor on, on somebody. That's kind of still like a trigger for me, mm -hmm. you know, it kind of brings me back, but, uh, no, definitely, uh, certainly, uh, uh, certainly my wife and, and, uh, I think to a point, my, my, uh, my kids, I mean, my, my daughter and my, and my two boys are, you know, quite a bit older now mm -hmm. and, uh. You know, they're, uh, I mean, they're adults now. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I, you know, um, my, uh, one of my, uh, kids asked me some pretty poignant questions about it and, uh, about the abuse, uh, about my depression, um, and, um, uh, asked about the suicide attempts, how many, and, uh, I was, I was quite comfortable. Yeah. Uh, talking to them about it. Yeah. Um, so bringing it back so you know now you're you're growing up you know you're you're kind of hiding the drinking um you have some baggage that you're obviously not talking about and then you get into funeral services yeah um <laughs> how did that also play a part um and this goes to what we were talking about off mic which i think is a very fascinating part of the job that no one ever thinks about yeah i'm mean, gonna let you describe it but sure you you know you already have this all this stuff going on with yourself and then you get into this and just did you know when you got into funeral services that 
it would also play into this? Like, did you have an understanding of what the job entailed? And then when you got stuck, um, that's a lot of a, diff a lot of different yeah. questions. So let's start. What are some of the things that might contribute um, that people might not know about about funeral services? And then we'll get into the other stuff there. Sure. Um, you know, when you know, when I I do a lot of public speaking and 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 talk about what I do for a living. And and uh, at one point for about a three year period um, back in the nineties, uh, I worked. Um, for uh, for a funeral company that also looked after coroner work or police work, it's called. Uh, we worked very closely with the coroner's office. We worked very closely with the police. Uh, we were the ones that uh, went on removals. And when I say removals, I mean, you know, uh, picking up a deceased person from their place of death. That could be from somebody's house. Be from a nursing home, it could be from a hospital, or what a lot of people don't realize is that we're the ones that go to murder scenes, we're the ones that go to car accidents, we're the ones that go to suicides. Um, I knew about that, obviously. Uh, I worked in uh, in in this one funeral home, uh, Hall's Play Fair McGarry, for uh, uh, three years before I kind of went off into this little side right. thing. So you had a General knowledge. Yeah, so I knew, you know, because you see the guys coming in and that sort of thing. So, so I, I knew kind of what uh, uh, I knew what they did, and then uh, you know, you know, the talking and the training doesn't really prepare you, you know, for uh, you know for uh, what life is like, and um, you know, the very first. Uh, uh, murder scene I ever went to was uh, uh, a young man uh, who was tortured to death. Oh my God. And I remember, um, you know, looking at his face and you could see the pain, you can see the, the terror that he went through. Um, in a three year period, I went to 36 murder scenes um, from all over this region. I went to scenes where you know, people were shot and stabbed and beaten to death and and uh, dismembered, and uh, some of them were kids. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize that we do that. They mm -hmm. think it's the police or, you know, the paramedics that would do that sort of thing. Um, you know, uh, probably the hardest things to deal with were suicides. I mean, the oldest person I looked after was 85. The youngest was 10, you know. Um, it it uh, can't help but affect you, and and yeah. and it, it was the type of thing where you'd you'd work all all day, and then you're on call at night, so I was never really at home. And uh, I became at that point, I became very hard, and you know, um, it, you know, you go, you know, you go into, uh, you know, you go into uh, some places that are just rat infested and. You know, you turn on a light and the cockroaches go all over the counter. And, um, um, you know, I, do, I told this story once of going into this place and it's in this little apartment and, and we were in the Byward Market area. This is a long time ago. We were in the Byward Market area and uh, and it was, uh, the place was just filthy and, and you know, I uh, we have a stretcher, right? And it's on the ground and 
were getting ready to lift the stretcher up and go down the stairs, and I could feel something kind of furry at, at my ankle. And the police officer said, oh, by the way, there's a cat in here, but we're not sure where it is. So I thought it was the cat, and I looked down, and it was probably the biggest rat Ugh. I had ever seen in my life. And I just lost it at that point, and I just started, like, kicking this thing up against the wall, you know. Um, you know, it's... Uh, you know, it, you know, it's it's certainly a lot to deal with, mm-hmm. and then, um, you know, so when you go home at night, you know, um, you know, usually your wife will say, "How was your date?" Fine, because I never really talked about it. Yeah, I couldn't. Well, first of all, you can't because there's uh, there's uh, um, um, there's um, well, I assume there's probably legal implications. Yeah, if yeah, there's there murders is. And yeah, you know, and there's stuff. confidentiality right. and that sort of thing. And, and, and I just didn't want to talk about it. And, um, you know, where, you know, you come home at night and everybody's sound asleep because it's two in the morning and, you know, you'll just stand in your kid's bedroom and watch them sleep. And, you know, think about the horror you kind of dealt with. Um, you know, yeah, even today, um, I actually, on, on the drive out here today, uh, it's going to sound really weird, but there's a few locations here in Ottawa that I refuse to drive past. Hmm. Like, I'll make a route kind of around it. You know, my wife knows what I'm doing. The kids have no idea. Why are you going this way? Well, that's because I went to a murder scene where a child was involved or a mother or anything like that. And, and, and I actually subconsciously did that today on the way here. Um, you know, every, every Christmas Eve, I, you know, think back to the car accident I attended where, uh, you know, uh, um, it was, uh, two kids were killed and a mother. And when we got there, I, I remember the Christmas gifts, Mm. all over the road, all wrapped, all over the road. They were obviously going to a family Christmas out of town or whatever. And they were, they were hit and killed. That was over 20 years ago. I still remember the time, you know, every Christmas Eve. I think about that family. Mm. I, think ab- I think about that husband who you know, has an awful memory about Christmas Eve when everybody's supposed to be happy. He has that awful memory, and I've never forgotten him. I've never met him. Don't know who he is. Never forgotten him or his family. Um, but you must have, like, so many, <coughs> so many of these these memories, these, you know, these vivid things that play in your mind, like, yeah. from all the experiences, like... So obviously, no wonder that this this need you know yeah. support yeah. group need. I mean, arguably, like you would see possibly more than a first responder in ways. You know, not obviously every first responder probably has a, a scene or two or dozens. I'm, I'm not quite sure, but if yeah. you're the funeral home that's always getting called, you have to see every single one of them. You do, and and the other thing is. Um, you know, a police officer or a paramedic or, or, or fire personnel, uh, they'll go to a scene and then they leave. With us, 
you know, will go to a scene, but, you know, um, that, that deceased might be coming back to our funeral home for preparation, for embalming, for, you know, for a funeral or whatever else. So you relive that all the time. And then you have their family to deal with who are, you know, suffering like you wouldn't believe, you know, um, and, you know, and you, you can't help but be, but be affected mm-hmm. by it, you know, uh, you know, for the long, I mean, I never slept well for years. I never slept well, you know, until I, uh, until I found, uh, meditation and yoga, you know, and that's what I use now to fall asleep is meditation. So just, I've, I've talked about that numerous amounts of times, uh, through so many guests is, but that meditation especially is the one that it constantly comes up, mm-hmm. um, as, as, uh, as a solution, whether it's, I'm talking to, um, I had a Jen Wozniak energy healer on who yeah. brought it up and I've had a neuroscience PhD, uh, also bring it up, right? Like, yeah. so you get yeah. science and you also get kind of more alternative, mm-hmm. but everyone kind of still talks about it as a thing. Yeah. What, how does that, like, how often do you meditate every day? Uh, how long do you do it? Like, Oh, every day before I go to bed. Is that right? Yeah. How long? That's the way I fall asleep. Uh, normally about an hour. See, that's, the, I'm like five minutes. I oh, really? it. <laughs> I like, I do it, but it's like five minutes. I'm like, it's like, oh, okay. Like just yeah. so to sit there for an, like, you know what I mean? Oh, like, I'm in bed. I'm lying there. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I'm lying there. And if I don't, if I don't do it or if I didn't do it, I'd have these terrible dreams. Lots of times it would be about, or I don't know why, but it would be, uh, uh, one of my children would, would be killed or something like mm-hmm. that and you know you wake up and you're sopping wet and and uh, it, you know and then I was in in therapy I I, uh, I was told about meditation and uh, by a friend of mine who who she swears by it and uh, who works in this industry mm-hmm. and uh, started doing it and uh, um, I'll I'll do it sometimes uh, in the afternoon uh, for my afternoon nap, you know, uh, but I'll, uh, I'll do that. And it, it, it just cleanses my mind. It just, um, you know, gets me thinking kind of about, you know, happier thoughts and, uh, and, uh, yeah. And it, cause my mind, my mind is, is always very active. I mean, all our minds are very yeah. active all, you know, all the time. And, and I really need to just that, just that calming, you know, um, you know, because if I don't have that, just my, my brain is racing all the, yeah. all the time. That's, uh, yeah. one of my, my things too, is like, it's always kind of going in the night. It's the, the anxiety kind of lets, gets control. And I start mm-hmm. like going off on all these, these things. And I get a little obsessive over certain situations or certain mm-hmm. themes. Um, and, uh, then I get over, I consumed and, and, mm-hmm. you know, so, it's fine. So meditation is something I've always wanted to try. Um, do you do anything else? Like, so I know I've, I find exercise obviously is a, is a big one for me. Yeah. Um, reading and podcasts have, has also been mm-hmm. kind of a lifesaver because it, it gives me, it's like focus. So I guess yeah. it's kind of like the same thing, right? Yeah. Very much. Um, that you, you focus in on something so your brain's not moving yeah. And, yeah. and you're more present. Yeah. I've actually, uh, in the summer months, uh, started to get into gardening. Okay. And um, I just love doing it. I, I love 
buying plants and flowers and I have uh I think I have about six or seven flower gardens at home and I have water features and and it drives my wife crazy because we'll <laughs> spend about, you know, 3000 bucks on flowers, you know, oh, goodness. and, uh, I'm out there every, every day, like every night when I get home from work, I'm weeding and I'm watering and I'm, and I do it every night. I apologize for keeping you. Oh no, it's been done. <laughs> it's just... been done already. Oh, okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I, uh, and, and that's been something that I, uh, didn't know didn't know I liked mm-hmm. or I loved you know and uh, I, I started now mind you I don't do it as much as I should but I started to ride a bike always loved riding a bike when I was a kid mm-hmm. and my wife and and my boys said well, you know if if you like it you know this Father's Day will go and get you a bike so I'll uh, you know go and go and do that and, and that certainly uh, clears clears my mind but I find as as I've gotten older, and uh, that I'm in counseling now, and and you know, and it's so important to talk to somebody that you like and you respect, mm-hmm. and it's so important to talk to somebody that's really not going to put up with your crap, and it's <laughs> not going to put up with you lying to her, you know, because I did, I did uh, when I was, I was really having a hard time. Um, you know, uh, before my last suicide attempt, uh, I was, I was angry for no reason at all. Uh, I would, uh, come home. Um, I, I hated to be away from home. And then when I was at home or when I was at home, I was in bed sleeping. You know, at that time I was, I was a chairperson of, of, of a national mental health partners for mental health. And, and, you know, I had to go to, dinners and check presentations and give speeches and stuff and I didn't want to go you know so what I would do is you know have about three or four drinks and off I went you know and and did it but I would come right back home again you know so you know uh you know I was just you know uh, so so at that point I said to my wife I said you know I I really need to talk to somebody and she got me in touch with one of her workplace uh, help you know counseling services and, you know, and, and I tell people all the time, you know, one thing about counseling is if you're not going to tell the truth, it's not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I wasn't prepared at that point to tell the truth. Gotcha. You know? How freeing was it for you when you were finally, like, how did it turn? How did you get to that point where you're like, I am going to tell the truth? And then what was that? What was that like for you? How freeing was that? How... Like, did it just come out like a waterfall? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's um, like so many years of all this, you know, yeah. quite frankly, shit. Yeah. Oh, totally. Right. You know, we had, uh, you know, when I finally found somebody to talk about my depression and PTSD, she said, you know, we're going to talk about PTSD and we're going to talk about work. But first, we're going to talk about your life. We're talking about your childhood. And um, she... Uh, she was the first person I told that I was abused. Very first. I and I did it at an appointment. And I remember it was like a waterfall. And as you said, I just started talking and I couldn't shut up. Yeah. You know, and I told her. And I I remember her I I remember being being upset about something I saw in the newspaper about a 
a guy who was who was uh, charged with abuse and um, was angry about it. And she said, "Why? Like, why are you so angry about this?" And I said, "Well, you know, I mean, he's you know doing this for years, and you know, people didn't know about it." And she said, "No, that's not that's not the reason. There's another reason." Well, no, that's that's the reason. It's because you know this has been going on for years. Other people knew. They didn't do anything about it. You know, uh, you know these these poor kids. And she said, no, that's not the reason. We're going to sit here all night until you tell me the reason. And I was really kind of getting upset with her. Mm. And then I just stopped talking. And I remember saying, I was abused. And there was silence. And, and she said, say it again. I was abused. And she said, who have you told that to? I said, you're the first one. And she said, tell me about it. How old were you? What happened? Who was he? And it just came out and out and out. And, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, I was, I was angry at people for not protecting me. And that came out. And it was, it was, it, it's been such an amazing feeling when I finally let that out. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, I didn't feel that I had to hide anymore. I didn't feel that, you know, I had to, um, you know, uh, you know, because I was always kind of li- <coughs> living a lie. I never had to do that anymore. And it felt amazing. And, you know, she said something to me. She said, you know, you know, you, what really bothers you is when uh, people are treated badly in life, you know, because I'll bring something up. She says, you're a nurturer. You're a protector. You know, you didn't have that protection when you were younger. Now you want to be that protector for others. And and really, I, I really believe that's why I'm in the profession I am now, because not anybody right. can just do it. Right. You know. Um, Dealing yeah. with people in their the most pretty much vulnerable moment their saddest totally. moment that totally a loved one is now gone and yeah i, yeah. I yeah. couldn't imagine I've, I've been fortunate enough not to lose yeah. someone like immediate family mm-hmm. or someone super close but sure. yeah. it's one of those unfortunate realities where you yeah. will have to eventually oh yeah and, and and you know like another thing too is we don't, we don't necessarily get the greatest respect from the general public well, and that's what I was saying to you kind of before. Is, <laughs> you know. um, I I had no understanding really of what yeah. you did um, until I heard that story or anybody who works, right? Like yeah. to me, and, and, and really no disrespect, but the pe- perception was it's like, you know, you're the funeral industry's like you're just capitalizing off, off mm-hmm. the death and yeah. they're, they're always like really rich and... All they mm-hmm. kind of do is like, oh yeah, things will be all right, and then and and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and that's just me being naive and and yeah. uneducated by totally. not understanding about it. But yeah. they're like literally just sitting here talking, and there's still probably so many things I don't know. Just yeah. all the things that go into it and and deal yeah. with it, and knowing now that there was never the support. To, oh yeah, for you know for. 100 years however long the industry like people have been dying all the time right yeah. like for the entire history of the planet and yeah. there's never been support until a year ago well you know um 
you know, unfortunately, Hollywood doesn't do us any favors. Mm. You know, whenever there's a TV show or a movie, you know, we're not show, shown in the best of lights, you know. So, you know, Hollywood and the press doesn't do us any favors. Yeah. But, you know, you're right. Um, you know, I, I've been in this industry now for 27 years. And um, the people I work with, um, you know, I, you know, I say it an awful lot in, in public speaking. We're we're kind of like police and fire department, where we socialize together away from work all the time because we understand each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, we uh, when when we're not, or I find when I'm not with funeral people and I'm at a party where I don't necessarily know a lot of people, I'm sitting there quiet because I don't have a lot in common with people. Right. Like, what did you, you do at work today? Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh. <laughs> you know, the murder scene. Oh. Yeah. There was no, yeah. you know, there was no soil milk in the in the cafeteria. Get really, that's yeah. your biggest problem, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, but um, these people are my family, and 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 uh, the, it's full of uh, caring individuals. Um, now, I mean. You know, not, you know, there's, it's like any industry. There's always one or two that really shouldn't be in it. But, um, but, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times, uh, I've seen people come in on their days off to help a family out. I can't tell you how many times I've consoled somebody who's, who's in a bathroom in tears after they've met a family and, 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 you know, that used to happen to me too. And it still kind of does, but not an awful lot where, Mm -hmm. you know, some for some reason something will just get you and you know it doesn't have to be a child or anything it could be you know an older person that led a great life and has the support of her family and you know you hear a you hear a song that really kind of makes you choke up and you know and and uh and uh you know it's it's kind of full of stories like that yeah and and, and that's when we realize that you know, when we first, uh, you know, started the, the peer support group uh, in Ottawa, we, we, you know, we started to get pretty good press coverage. Uh, in, uh, in January, uh, we, we had a story uh, written about us in the, in the Citizen, and then it was picked up by, uh, well, The Sun, obviously, mm-hmm. and then kind of went across the country, uh, Edmonton and Calgary, and, and, uh, and then, uh, you know, uh, uh, Globe and Mail did a story on us, and then the National Post, and then McLean's, and then we kind of did a radio tour, mm-hmm. um, you know, and did CBC Radio uh, here in Ottawa, and then Toronto, and then we did something in Edmonton. And and, uh, and then we started to hear from funeral home staff saying, wow, what you're doing in Ottawa is so impressive. We need that here in Calgary, or we need that here in Winnipeg, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I heard from funeral home staff that were, you know, way up north in a small little town, and you know, and and uh, you know, uh, we need that support. You know, we have we have um, the the amount of people that I talk to, and you know, I can say myself included, that can say, you know, I worked with somebody that killed themselves in this industry because. It was just too much. They just couldn't couldn't deal with it anymore. And you know, and I worked with uh, two people that are no longer here. Um, and uh, 
the amount of people that kind of said the same thing mm -hmm. or the amount of people that simply walked away from this industry. Some great, great talented people that just simply had enough, hit a wall, I've got to get out. Mm -hmm. Because there wasn't that support. You know, we, uh, you know, and I'm not just kind of, you know, uh, laying the blame on funeral service. I think yeah. all, all our workplaces uh, don't do a good enough job. Um, you know, I, I usually make this comment, but, uh, you know, mental illness is the only disease in the world where people get mad at the person that has it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, <laughs> you know, absolutely. It really is. You know, uh, if you, you know, if you, uh, you know, you, you could go into your boss and say, hey, you know, I'm not feeling very well. I went to see my doctor. I'm going to have to have tests because he thinks I have cancer. You know, he comes around the table and, you know, arm around you. You know, hey, you know what? We're in this together. You you tell the, the that that same boss you have a mental illness, and the chair goes back because they don't know how to deal with it. That's yeah. I remember speaking at um, a workplace mental health uh, kind of event, and that's why one of the biggest things is not only do we not like as a as a society support it um, financially with resources. It's like not even the training. No. Like God bless my boss who has listened to me and has tried to yeah. understand even when they don't. Yeah. But there's never you don't get a handbook for that when, you know, your employee comes in and says work makes me want to kill myself. Yeah. Like you're just like, right? Like they don't know how to help. Like they want to help, but yeah. There's just what there's nothing. You know, and and gone are the days where, you know, the old adage of don't don't bring your uh home problems to work. You know, um I'm sorry, but you know, let's say, you know, you find out your spouse has cancer or yeah. your spouse, you find out has been cheating on you or, you know, you're waiting for the test results to see what that mass is on your son's brain or, you know, you find out you have cancer. How are you supposed to leave that in your car, walk into the door at work and continue on and try and do your job? Yeah. You can't. There's no way you can. Yeah. It's not, not to mention that work never really truly leaves us anymore oh no um you know we're so connected that yeah. work is just life now and so many people are, are entrenched in what they do for work where yeah. there's not that separation it's just it's all one yeah and you see that's that's an issue in our industry because you know we're not like an awful lot of places where like for an example when my kids were younger and uh we plan something hey we're gonna go to so-and-so's cottage for the mm -hmm. weekend my wife would never plan on me being there. <laughs> you know, if I was there, it was a bonus. Mm -hmm. She'd never pack a bag for me. She would, you know, okay, kids, we're leaving to go to the cottage at five. Where's dad? Well, if he shows up, he shows up. Because unfortunately, in this industry, you know, just because it's five o'clock doesn't mean you're going home. Mm -hmm. You know, if that family still needs you. You know, you, you have to prepare that deceased or whatever or help out. You know, you can't leave until the job's done. A you know, a lot of businesses don't don't have that. Mm -hmm. You know, 5 o'clock is 5 o'clock, you go home. You know, kind of not with us. So, you know, so the, <clears throat> so the fact that, you know, there are a lot of marriage breakups in this industry. Yeah. You know, there are an awful lot of substance abuse. I mean, not like it used to be. But it's still there. Yeah. You know, and uh, so, 
Yeah, so when we we decided, you know, wow, our because our, our our long-term goal, as I said before, our long-term goal was to always go national with this peer support group. And um, we realized that, wow, it kinda, we kind of have to do this now. Mm-hmm. And so what we did was we uh, developed a non-for-profit corporation. Uh, we're called Canadian Funeral Peer Support. Um, by Decem- the end of December, we'll have, officially we'll have locations in... Uh, in um, uh, St. John, New Brunswick, Moncton, New Brunswick. Uh, we're currently in talks in, uh, in Montreal. Uh, we, of course, have one in Ottawa, Humber College, Toronto, Hamilton, London, uh, Winnipeg, uh, and uh, we're in talks in Windsor. And now what has happened was um, funeral homes in the U.S. have mm. reached out to us. You know, we've, we have uh, people in... Uh, New York State and Maine and Alabama and Florida, Wisconsin, South Carolina have now reached out to us. And right now we're kind of in talks with our business advisors and lawyers about, about spreading out there. Mm-hmm. You know, but kind of what we're doing now is, is you know, uh, the plans we want to bring forward cost money. Right. You know, we want to, w- you know, one thing we heard uh, from uh, funeral home staff said, well, hey, you know, what you're doing is amazing, but, you know, I'm up here in Wawa or White River. Uh, I run a one or two person show here. You know, uh, I can't drive the three hours to Sault Ste. Marie or wherever for peer support. Mm-hmm. If you had something like a warm line or something like that, and we said, wow, we can do that. Yeah, conference calls. Yeah, but, you know, have a, have a support line with a, with a qualified therapist, 24 hour, uh, qualified therapist on the other end. And sometimes you just need to talk to somebody. Sometimes you, you know, you're not suicidal, but you're just having a tough day and you know, your family is at you because you're not at home again. And you know, another family that's paying the bills, you know, was at you because you haven't done this. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so, you know, we want to develop that and, and our, and our, our peer support groups, uh, are, are run by uh, certified facilitators. So what we're looking at doing is, uh, is training those people so they have a funeral service background. Uh, because in order to do a peer support group, you have to have it run properly mm-hmm. so it doesn't become nothing but a bitch session, mm-hmm. which unfortunately, if it's not run properly, it could happen. Well, yeah, it's, that's our natural default almost. That, of course. Right. Of you, course. you want it to have a positive outlook like us or some sort of takeaway or a message rather than just everyone dumping in their problems and then just going okay like bye yeah see you next week or yeah. something right yeah. you need you need to have that strategic movement yeah what's exactly exactly and 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 you know so we're we're going at this slow because we want to go at it properly mm-hmm. you know we want you know we you know we don't want to get too big too quickly we want to do this properly because because, you know, this is about people's future. You know, those people that are, uh, you know, that are, uh, you know, struggling, we want them to stay in this industry. And especially at the college level. And it is so important for us to be at the college level, at Humber College, where funeral service staff go for mm-hmm. their education. Um, you know, you know, we all know the, the rising number of, of uh, depression and suicide in our universities and colleges. 
you know, is not going down, it's going up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of that is, you know, and I was, I'm actually going to uh, Humber next week, but I was there last year, you know, and I, and, and, and saying in a, in a speech, I said, you know, you know, you come from a, you know, small town, Ontario, you know, you're 19 years old, you're fresh out of high school or whatever, but, you know, uh, you know, the, you know everybody in the town you live in. And then you go to school in one of the biggest cities in North America where you don't know anybody. And you have to make friends again. And that's tough. And sometimes when you get lonely and you're in a dorm room, well, you know, sometimes you get involved in stuff that you wouldn't normally get involved with if you were at home. But if you had a support system, you know, if you had a, a peer support group at Humber, the way we're, uh, the group we're putting in there, then you have a family again. Then you have friends. Then there's somebody you can reach out to, you know. You know, there's somebody you can talk to at any time during the day. And, it, you know, it makes the transition from home to, you know, college and then your internship where you go to another community at a funeral home to kind of learn on the job training you know uh mm-hmm. it just makes it that much easier yeah what is recruitment like for that industry like i <coughs> i mean i'm not from a big city but i sure. know one person who took it and they were a couple years younger than me yeah but i don't know a lot of people ever saying i want to grow up and be a funeral director or work you know yeah with, yeah with bo- i never special, did <laughs> i know you said compassion and, yeah and then really caring people yeah is there a certain type of personality or that someone that kind of says this is what I want to do with my life? Or is it more of like a you fall into it, it might be kind of interesting type thing. But like I can't imagine a lot of people, you know, no. frankly want to be, I want to be around dead bodies <laughs> and sad people all the time. Yeah. You know, what it is is uh, we find a lot of uh, uh, people that go to Humber, uh, their parents own a funeral home. It's okay. a family thing. Gotcha. Um, I don't know of too many people that this is their first choice. This was my second choice. My original choice was to follow in my uncle's footsteps and become a hotel manager. And I took hotel and restaurant management thinking that's what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And then the recession hit. Mm. And I was getting laid off every winter. And I had a, new, I had a brand new baby girl. And I just couldn't live like that. So I had to find, I had to rely on my second choice. So for a lot of people, it's a second choice, mm. you know, but, uh, uh, we find, um, right now, you know, a majority of, of students coming into the program are now women, you know, more so than men where years ago it wasn't like that. You know? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, you know, you definitely have to be, uh, compassionate. You have to be hardworking. Uh, you have to realize, uh, <coughs> you know, I always, I always say, uh, you know, uh, you know, people aren't in this job for the money, which is really handy because there's not much money in it. You know, uh, you know, you really have to, uh, you know, you really have to realize that, uh, uh, this is not a job. It's a calling, you know, mm. it's like entering, uh, it's like entering, uh, becoming a clergy person, you know, it's a calling. Not everybody can do this. And, um, you know, you, you, you take all the bad and you 
you take all the good. And, and for the most part in this industry, it's very good. But it needs to change. Mm-hmm. All workplaces need to change. Uh, you know, we're not, you know, not going to get any more money out of our governments for, uh, for health care. Yeah. It's just not happening. So businesses actually uh, are now starting to realize that they have a responsibility for their staff to keep them. Um, so that's why you see peer support groups starting to spring up in government departments, especially uh, fire, police, paramedics. But other businesses realize that, hey, we need to have this support system. Yeah. You know, because, you know, uh, you know, one thing I always, you know, say is, you know, no change that has ever come to this world has started from a government and come from a government. It's always been the people. You know, you look at uh, the civil rights movement, same-sex rights, uh, the end of communism. It's always been the people that have demanded change from the governments, and then the governments make that change. That's what we have to do with our mental health crisis in our country. We can't wait for a government to do it. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, I realized that when, you know, I was with Partners for Mental Health and every election I used to go to candidate meetings and, you know, I'd, I'd have my, my list of three questions I'd ask and always got the same answer. You know, we, we as a people now have to do the work ourselves. Yeah, that's, what, that's one of my biggest messages too. It's when, I, when I'm speaking, one of the big thing is now we're a lot of us are talking about it. You know, yeah. people are finding the strength to come yeah. and and be open about it. And I, I love it. The stigma is reducing, mm-hmm. but that's just putting a bigger burden on the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Now we need to. We also need to fundraise. We need to yeah. not only <coughs> help the the crisis management and the, the medicinal side, but when you're talking about businesses realizing, you could talk about it in the social responsibility of taking care of your employees. Or the economic responsibility by mm. the amount of man like hours lost to mental health to to people leaving jobs and retraining yeah. it's staggering yeah the i i remember it's in the millions or it's in the billions yeah um especially the one where of uh, people uh when you i can't remember what it's called it's like being present but like you're not yeah. there yeah right like you're sitting on facebook you're, just, you're on the comment boards being like Fuck the government blah, 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 <laughs> instead of working yeah, because you're just yeah, like this totally. place doesn't pay me enough. Totally. Da, 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 da. Um, you know, fifty is it fifty or five hundred thousand people will miss work. Um, yes. I think in in is it in a day or, or something like that. And you know, the thing is, um, it'll be called something else. You know, when they call in, yeah, I'm not going to say I have Got a, a cold. mental health yeah. issue. No, I have a cold. My son's sick. You know. I just don't feel well. That's that's my yeah. always go to. I'm just not feeling well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and my mom and girlfriend are will we'll know they'll be like mentally or physically. Like, yeah, not mentally. Yeah. Um, but even, and I'm so open. I'm involved with the the scene now. I'm you yeah. know meeting new people. I still feel afraid of taking a mental health day. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I like avoid it at all costs, even if I need it. Yeah. Um, which is interesting to me that I know, and I think it goes into a, a little bit what you were saying earlier too. It's like, you know, all these things, but like, you can't take your own advice. Oh no. I'll tell yeah. everybody, take a mental health day. What are <laughs> totally. you doing? Yeah. Comes to me. I'm like, no, I can't. I, I I'm too busy. Yeah. I got stuff to do. Yeah. 
I just won't do it. And it, it's yeah. that needs to change too. That mm-hmm. We need mm-hmm. to, to figure that out. Yeah. But you know, especially our, our, our companies we're you know, we're losing way too many people. And, you know, you talked about, you know, the cost and, you know, the retraining you have to do. Um, you know, I know with us, you know, we, you know, the programs we want to bring in and, you know, having mental health webinars and making sure that, you know, our staff are, are, are healthy, mm-hmm. uh, not only mentally, but physically. Um, you know, one thing we're doing in our, in our uh, peer support meetings, and, and we did it here in Ottawa uh, last year, uh, well, just after Christmas, we had uh, we, what he called a uh, um, Healthy Mind, Healthy Body uh, series, you know, where we brought in a yoga instructor and we brought in a meditation instructor. And, you know, we also uh, had a chef come in and talk about proper eating habits because mm-hmm. I don't know about this industry, but our industry, we eat like crap. Well, the big thing with <laughs> media too is like we'll get oh free god. pizza. Yeah. We'll, it's like, oh god damn. Yeah. And uh, not to cut in, but my last episode I just did um, was with a PhD neuroscience student studying microbiome and, and yeah. gut flora and the effects of nutrition and what we put into yeah, our bodies. Yeah, that. Yeah, with mental health, right? Awesome. So, yeah, all those things, not only physical, but yeah, a nutritionist and or a chef teaching you fresh whole foods yeah. and ingredients. Yeah, and not the, that the change that that'll play on everything in your body. It's it's staggering. Oh, it is. And that like people just don't know. We just yeah. don't know. It's, yeah, it hurts. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? We're we're in industry where we're going to be around forever. Yeah, you know, it's just one of those things. We're like the police. We're going to be there forever. So, you know, we need to make it healthier to work in our industry. And, you know, unfortunately in our industry, and it's not just in funeral service, but in other industries, we're still kind of in the 1980s a little bit. You know, there's, you know, there's still, you know, uh, bullying issues in the workplace and there's still sexism and, and, you know, and that's one thing that, you know, just, just aggravates me Mm -hmm. so much, you know, um, that, you know, all that stuff needs to change. And, you know, uh, our, our industry is slowly coming around to realizing that, you know, in order for us to grow, in order for us to get better, we need to change. Mm-hmm. And we need to change the way we're treating each other. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I always end, you know, my speech with usually with, you know, you know, it comes down to like a simple truth. You know, we need each other and we have to care for one another because nobody's going to do it for us. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I, you know, when I, you know, came, came out and, and, you know, uh, you know, said I had, uh, mental health issues and I had PTSD and, and I was abused as a young boy at the end of the day, it was up to me to make that change. And, and right now, uh, you know, we have, uh, with Canadian funeral peer support, uh, it's just been going amazing. We have a, an amazing team of, uh, of uh our our management group that uh you know we're not just all from ottawa you know we're Mm -hmm. from the east coast or from toronto or from winnipeg and and uh board of directors kind of stretching across the country too and and uh and this is this is something very new and very exciting for industry Mm -hmm. uh there there is a little bit of skepticism probably which we expect you know from certain segments Mm -hmm. but you know that's okay 
that's okay because we know the answers. Yeah. You know. Why do you think it took this long? That nothing was ever set up before? Just stubbornness, just lack of yeah awareness. Like it's just it's staggering to me that, you know, you dealt with this for, you know, twenty I assume twenty seven your whole twenty seven oh, year yeah. career doing it. Oh yeah. Um and I watched others. Yeah, and that it only all of a sudden like happened now. Yeah, it was a lot of it was uh, you know the old suck it up attitude. You know, uh, go right. for a walk, go for a drink. Which, by the way, going for a drink is probably the worst thing you can do. Yeah, you depressing. Yeah. <laughs> if you go for an iced tea, don't go for an alcohol drink because that's a depressant. Yeah, but you know it was it was always that attitude that uh, you know it was worse for me or you know uh, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's the worst. The oh, I did it. You'll be fine. Yeah. Oh, I hate you that. You know, <laughs> and 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 I can remember years ago, you know, we'd have students that come in from Humber for a apprenticeship program for a, for a year, and um, and uh, you know, uh, two of them were you know being you know placed in like what we call the prep room or the embalming room, and uh, and I, I I remember saying to one director, you know. Do you really think it's right that they're just stuck in there all by themselves? And she said, "Well, that's the way it was when I, you know, come out of Humber." And I said, "Well, like, that doesn't mm -hmm. make it right, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> you know, we need to kind of change that, you know. Uh, but you know, it's. I think a lot of it is complacency. I think a lot of it is laziness. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, one thing I, you know, I find is people just don't want to get involved anymore. You know, hey, I've got my own." life and my own little issues going on here i you know i can't deal with anything else yeah you know um but um but that's like in anything and that's like in any business you know or any family um but uh you know right now uh you know i'm not i'm in a good place i'm probably not in a perfect place i don't think you ever are yeah i agree with that it's a, it's a, i always say like it's like a another, it's kind of like another full-time job <laughs> Because yeah. not only do I have to, you know, take my meds or go to see therapists, it's, yeah. it's like, like you have to meditate, it's exercise, it's, yeah. okay, what am I eating? What am I, what am I doing mentally to set myself, right? It, that's, that's how I describe it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I remember my counselor saying to me, she said, you know, you know, the difference, the difference with me and, and, and some of the bad counselors and stuff, they'll say, okay, you've had, you know, 20 appointments, off you go, you're good. You know, with me, it's. You have a lifetime condition. You have a chronic condition that unfortunately is not going away. You have a disease that you have to manage yourself. You know, you know, we can hook you up with meds. We can do all these treatments, but at the end of the day, it's up to you. Mm -hmm. So what are you going to do with it? You know, are you going to make life a little better, you know, for your family? You know, um, I was alive to see my daughter get married. Yeah. And I remember um, uh, we were in a, a, a church in Canada. And I leaned over, and there she was in her dress, and she looked amazing. She looked beautiful. And I leaned over to my wife and said, Man, I'm so glad I'm alive to see this. You know, so glad. Um, you, know, when I, you know, when I think back to, you know, uh, you know, the suicides I've, you know, been to and after I kind of realized I needed help and, you know, and I just, uh, even today, I, ju I just feel so awful for these people, you know. 
especially when it's a child, when it's a teenager. You know, um, right now I I think I have probably more empathy than anything. You know, um, I remember going to one call recently where um, a young man had, had, had hung himself in his hallway and, and his mother was there. And she's on her knees talking to him. And, and uh, I got down on my knees and talked to her, eye level, you know. Um, I don't know if I would have done that before. It would have been a job. I would want to get in there and get out quick. Mm. But, you know, I'm not like that now, you know. Uh, I mean, I was always very apathetic or sympathetic for people, but, you know, now it's even more. You've seen both sides, oh, right? Yeah. You've, you've been at the point where, you know. Oh, yeah. And then you've seen the aftermath. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I just uh, I just love life. And right now, um, I really believe that we're born for a reason. You're born for a reason. You're here. For, you're still here for a reason. Mm. So am I. You know, um, you know, you know, whatever is there up there, uh, you know, uh, he or she or whatever put us here for a reason. And we're not done yet. You know, that's why my nurse, that's why that nurse picked up her phone. I wasn't done yet. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe my thing is bringing this program into my workplace. You know, and bringing it across the country and then bringing it into the United States. You know, um, maybe it was giving me the family I had. You know, the fact that, you know, my wife didn't walk out on me. And I was an awful husband. I mean, the drinking, the womanizing, the, you know. I was married, but I didn't, I didn't act like it, mm. you know. And, you know, but, you know, I think she always knew the real Michael is there. But he was damaged, and we needed to, you know, chip away at that outer shell, that protective shell that I was protecting myself with, mm-hmm. um, where now I don't, I don't have that anymore, you know. And, you know, and, and, you know, and our marriage is not all sunshine and puppies now. I mean, it's still, it's still tough because I still certainly have, have issues with intimacy and, and, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, she's, uh, uh, you know, she's, uh, she's here for the long haul and, and, and so am I. And, uh, I've got, uh, I've got a lot of, a lot of life to live. Mm-hmm. Well, and clearly some, some important work to, uh, to keep going, not only just sharing your story, but also this program that's going to be helping so many people mm-hmm. who, who haven't mm-hmm. had help. So, yeah. You know, last January, no, last December is before Christmas. Um, each peer support group has a um, a uh, counseling service, kind of on retainer. And the counseling service we use here in Ottawa, uh, I had a meeting with them before Christmas, and we kind of talked about the year past and the year in the future. And she said, you know, and she didn't tell me who they were, obviously, but she said, you know, um, eight people from your group have come private counseling and I thought wow you know that's awesome eight people you know where would those eight people be if we didn't have this Mm -hmm. you know would they be trying to self-medicate would they be you know trying to to look after things themselves because I'll tell you that doesn't work 
you know, I know I tried. <laughs> Preaching on the choir. I seriously know that too. It really doesn't work. Yeah. You know, it was fun while I did it, but it never really yeah. worked. You know? Yeah. You know, absolutely. You know, so. Um, uh, if people want more information, um, just to kind of wrap it up. Yeah, definitely. Where, where can people go to find this? Where, where can they get more information, become yeah. involved? It's yeah. Their donations. Sure. All that stuff. Uh, we're, uh, we're, uh, our, uh, website is, uh, is, uh, www, uh, Canadian funeral services, uh, dot com. Our email address is, uh, info at Canadian FPS, uh, dot com. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how many funeral people, uh, yeah. but even if you're not, but you know. I think the message that, you know, that I love that you came on and shared is just something that I've been preaching for a while yeah. and that. There are many. There are people who are all preaching this message, but you know, there's also a lot of people not hearing it or not wanting to listen or not yeah. that. Just like talk, open, like just find somebody that you, like you said, like you trust that you like, and like talking is okay, mm -hmm. and it's you should and. And you know what? It's and so it's important. All right to open up, and it's all right to be vulnerable. Yeah. And it's it's totally and it. You know what? And if you don't have somebody in your life, you know, there's somebody at the end of the phone mm -hmm. that's there for you, yeah. you know, and that opens up bigger avenues for you. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Well, Mike, Michael, Mike, thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank uh, you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, best of luck with, uh, with the future of this. Great. Look well, forward thank to you where it's so going. much. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody. Take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.